So as we started a couple weeks ago, rather as we started into the book of Peter, well, let's turn there for a minute. First Peter, and we're just going to look at the first verse, and we're going to show you how far we've come and what we've done for two weeks. You haven't got the tapes as yet, so you don't know what we've been doing. But anyhow, the first verse, and Peter says, Peter, he starts with his name, immediate identification, not a false apostle, not one pretending, but he wants you to know that it is an apostle. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect. What a nice way to start verse 2, huh? Start verse 1 with Peter, start verse 2 with elect. You see how wonderful these lessons will be? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. But what we have done in the last two weeks is kind of looked into Peter's life. We looked into the first week, the call of Peter, where he was first introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and what he did before. And we also, strangely enough, found out that this fellow was married. Now, why of all the apostles and disciples in the book would it happen to mention that just one of them was married? and that he had a mother-in-law. Well, do you th really think that the, our Lord, knowing all things down through the ages, knew that when he'd come down to this time when we're living, that everybody would say that Peter didn't get married, that you're not supposed to be married. Priests aren't to be married, and nuns aren't to be married, and all this. It's just strange that Peter happened to have a mother-in-law, isn't it? Well, that was one of the things in our first lesson. And in our second lesson, we continued looking into the life of Peter, and we still haven't finished, but we'll do that today, so next week we can really take off on the book. Now, the last thing we said last week is that Peter never wanted to abase Christ. You know how he was so uh, always speaking out. It seemed like he was always saying the wrong thing, but the normal, natural thing to say for Peter was always wrong. Now, one time he did say something right. He says, Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And the Lord said, well, Peter, that's great, man. You know why you said that? Because God revealed it to your heart. That didn't come off the top of your head now. That was revealed to you. Well, there's a few other little things we want to see about Peter. Uh, let's turn to John 13 just for a minute, and there's a little... Uh, section of scripture in there that we've read many times and uh, I think it's interesting verse 21 through 28 this has to do with uh, with our, our Lord's last supper with these so verse 21 says this when Jesus had thus said he was uh, was troubled in spirit and testified and said very verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. And you know how in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke it says, uh, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? I want you to understand that Peter wasn't one of these that was going to say, Is it me? when he knew it wasn't. So what does he do? Verse 23. 
Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's how John always described himself. Simon Peter therefore beckons to him, hey buddy, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. And then this is John, when he then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. Now Peter and John were aware of who it was going to be. And when he had dipped the sop and gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, and after the sop Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Now you see, here was Peter. Very, very shrewd. He wanted to know who it was. He wasn't just going to say, is it I, is it me? Peter and John were close. And they remember they were partners in the fishing business. Remember that? Their business was together. They were partners. Of course, we had gone into that on the, on the other lesson, and that was very interesting. All right, that was just one incident in Peter's life. Another one is Peter would die for Christ. Right now, he would die for him. John 18.10. Let's take another look at Peter. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. Just in case you didn't believe the story, they even have the man's name. But here's the idea. This was a, a very frightening crowd of soldiers and people that had come to take the Lord Jesus Christ. They had weapons with them. They had swords and spears. And what does Peter do? He just up with his sword and starts hacking away, and he catches one guy on the head. Now, that's like a suicide mission. You're going to die, you do stuff like that. But our Lord preserved him in that instance again. The Lord says, then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And uh, he did put the ear back on. See, don't tell us that right here, does it? It must be in another book. But our Lord puts the man's ear back on, and another wonderful, great miracle performed in front of the very ones taking them. Would you, if you were in that band, saw something like this happen in the credentials of God himself shown right in front of you? Would you still continue? They did, because man's natural heart won't be changed even by a miracle. I want you to understand that. All this healing and, and even, you could even raise people from the dead, our Lord said, unless you believe Moses and the prophets, it's no good. Unless the Holy Spirit takes spiritual things home to your heart, it's of no avail. All the miracles, all anything else, does not change a person. It will not give them a new nature. It will not change their nature toward worshiping God. Okay, let's have another little instance now in Peter's life. Turn to Luke 22. In Luke 22, we're going to find... The Great Denial, verses 54 through 62. This is after they had taken the Lord into uh, 
the great tribunal there for judgment hall. And it says, Peter followed from afar off. Look at verse 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. So it had to be cold. They had to kindle a fire. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. If I recollect, I believe I saw him with this man before. And verse 57 is speaking about Peter says, And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I'm not. You're, you're mistaken. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, This fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Talk about prophecy. This word of God is just full of prophecy. And the very thing just a few hours before, our Lord says, Cop's going to crow three times, Peter, and you're going to deny me before that even happens. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, I'm noticing in this particular book that it doesn't say that Peter cursed. But Peter was a fisherman, and he knew all the fancy words that fishermen use when they lose that big one. You know, they've had it, it's on the hook, they bring him in, and they lose it. And that's where they learn this particular type of language that fishermen have that's spread all over the world now that everybody has. But Peter had a very, very uh, uh, a cursing nature to start with, and he did a lot of this cursing in front of his little maid and, and vehemently denying that he even knew the Lord. All right, now that's uh, the denial. That's three times the denial, then the cock crew three times, and you begin to wonder, how come everything happens in threes? Well, let's see if there's any more threes. Turn to John 21 and verse 3. John 21 and verse 3. Good morning. Come on in. Find a seat. We had mentioned either last week or the week before that when men have a trade or when they have been brought up doing something all of their life, it's kind of inbred in them. It's instilled. We said how I know especially men that are in construction, iron workers, steel workers, somehow, no matter how long they're retired or how they get away from it, there's that within them that loves to think about being up on that iron again. See that iron swinging and coming in and with a big spud wrench to spud the iron and get the holes lined up. Those things live within a man. This is part of them. But Peter was a fisherman. And just as soon as, as the crucifixion had taken place and, and they had gone off and the Lord didn't uh, 
didn't escape the cross and he was buried and put in the tomb, Peter wants to go fishing. So this is where we're finding him. As we look at verse 3 in chapter 21 of John, we see, Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. And they said unto him, Well, so go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then said Jesus unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. Now, my mind says, What kind of men are these out here who are going to answer to children? And yet the authority behind the very voice, they didn't object. They just said no. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Now, you remember the first time that happened to Peter? He said, uh-uh. He said, we've been fishing here all night. I've been doing this all my life, and you're going to come tell me to throw the net on the other side of the ship, and I've been throwing it this side, that side, and front, and in the back. I've been casting all over. There aren't any fish here. Our Lord, he told him, cast it, go ahead and give it a shot. And down he goes and he had more fish than he ever caught in his life. So here's the same command again. Cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. They cast therefore and now they're not able to draw it for the multitude of the fishes. Remember the first time the net break when they were first, you know, before they were called. The net break. They couldn't even hold the fish. They had two boatloads full. That's when Peter said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Lord, thy very presence just condemns everything about me. I don't even know how to fish. Don't know anything about him. I thought I knew the very nature of fish. I've been in this all my life. Depart from me, Lord. Now here they are fishing again. Verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith to Peter, here's John speaking to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded on his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And this is strange. Now if they fishing, and just a couple of nights before that, it's so cold they build in a fire. Now he's out there naked. He must have been some hot-blooded guy, this one. But anyhow, he puts on his coat and cast himself into the sea. Couldn't have been that deep. They're probably only in waist-high water anyhow. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but it, as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there. You know what that did to Peter? Oh, oh here it comes. You remember, he was warming himself by a fire, by that little maid. They had kindled a fire, and Peter was there warming his hands around it, and that's when he had his three denials. Why did the natural fear of man come out in Peter at that time? Because the Lord just let it happen. The Lord was teaching Peter. First thing he sees is a fire of coals and fish thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet not the net broken. Hmm, things are different after the resurrection, huh? Even the net didn't break. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. And this is now the third time, here's another three, 
that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. That's number one. Commissioned to preach. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee, and Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. You know, there was a gentle, gentle reminder three times of the three denials, and here were the three counteracting uh, uh, sentences or, or almost like healing balm for those denials. Three times he, he said, Lovest thou me? And Peter had to acknowledge he did. And each time it had to do with the ministry. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So, this is what Peter did the rest of his life. The rest of the chapter is interesting. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thou thee whither thou wouldst not. And this he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And that seems to be that Peter was to be crucified also. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John again, following, which also leaned on his breast at the supper, and saith, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? See, that's an important little thing that happened. That's, that's important. It's mentioned again here at the very end of the book. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And then this saying went abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus did not say unto him, He shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come. What is that to thee? Now, the important thing about that statement is this. Did John live and see the coming of the Lord? Sure he did. That's the book of Revelation. The Lord showed him the whole thing from that time down to the end, into the millennium. He showed John everything about his coming, and we have it ourselves. We can see it. It's in the book of Revelation, and John was the one that the Lord told these things to. So you see, he didn't live until the Lord actually came back, but John was there in spirit and was just as if it had happened to him. He was there in spirit. So we see there that Peter's going to be a preacher. He's going to feed the sheep. He's going to feed the lambs. So... Peter knew a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he knew a lot about himself. So when we go back into his book of 1 Peter, now he didn't write a gospel. You know that we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
and most everybody thinks that the Gospels were written by apostles. They weren't. Matthew was, so was John, but Mark and Luke were not any of the twelve apostles. So if we look at this, we've got a few minutes yet, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers. Strangers, isn't that a strange name for God's people? Now, Peter wasn't writing it to people that didn't give any kind of a care about religion. He was writing it to people, as we will see in verse 2, elect souls, and he called them strangers. You know, a stranger is unknown and doesn't know what's going on in a certain locality if he's a stranger there. I want to give you a biblical example. Turn to Luke, 20, Luke 24. And I'm just going to show you how that even applied to our Lord Jesus one time. It's Luke 24 and verse 18. We have two fellows walking on the highway to Emmaus. And in verse 18, come right on in, make yourself find a seat. In verse 18, and it says, And one of those whose name was Cleophas answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? You see, if a person is a stranger, they don't know. They're unknown to those and they don't know what's going on. A stranger is also feared. How many movies and stories have to do with the stranger that nobody knows about and they don't know his potential to do evil? A stranger is generally very feared. And the first thing you tell your kids when they're little, don't take candy from a stranger. Don't dare get in a car with a stranger. Don't walk. And now it's so bad that uh, it's not like when I was a kid. We never locked the doors of the house. We never worried about a kid getting picked up. Never. Can you believe that, that I lived in a time like that? Never locked your front door, your back door, nighttime, no time. Never heard of a kid getting kidnapped. Never heard of anybody getting mugged. Beware of a stranger. A stranger does not belong, and yet God says to entertain strangers. You want to see it in your Bible? Turn to Hebrews 13, 2. It's close to Peter. Back just a few pages. In Hebrews 13, 2, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Well, I'm going to say the percentage of the time isn't in too favorable in them being angels. But Abraham did entertain angels, and we have some scriptural uh, records of that. But in this day and time, we live in a different day and time now. Very, very, very unbiblical, unchristian, ungodly, very immoral, unmoral times. You've got to be careful about that admonition. Okay, let's see, where are we? Strangers, God's strangers, live on promises. Stay in Hebrews and look at Hebrews eleven thirteen. 
these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's a name for God's people. Strangers, pilgrims. And we're talking about the best of the lot. You see, this is, this is the world's, the way the world looks at God's people. Strangers, aliens. 2 Timothy 2.19 want to show you that God's people might be strangers to the world, but they are not strangers to the Lord Jesus Christ, or to God the Father, or to the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews, I mean in 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Boy, is that ever a wonderful statement. I'd hate to think that I walked around as a stranger all the time until the day that I died and that maybe God would know me. The Bible says that the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Never a stranger to God. Well, what else does the Bible say about him knowing us? We'll turn to John 10. Look at verse 14. John 10, 14, it says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. And as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep have I which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. Now that's very important because all of God's people hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ sometime in their life. They hear the word of God. And there should be one fold and one shepherd. And in the same chapter, verse 27, clinches it, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now with the few minutes remaining, we want you to turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 and verses 54 through 57. I want to show you that God's people are strangers in their own house. And that's an awful place to be a stranger. You have a wife. You've courted her. You loved her all of your life. You may or you may not be a stranger to her. You have children that have grown up with you. You've sacrificed everything for them. You may be a stranger to them. Let's see what the Bible says. Verse 54. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? These were people that had known him 
and said, I can't believe, where is he getting this from? They say in verse 55, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then has this man all these things? And they were offended in him. And Jesus saith unto them, A prophet is not without honor save in his own country and in his own house. Now, one of the interesting things about this scripture we just read has to do with the Virgin Mary having a large family. I guess you didn't know that, did you? Did you know that the Bible even gives you the names of the stepbrothers of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can anybody try to form a religion that everything about their doctrine is absolutely contrary and the opposite of what the Bible teaches? I'm glad I'm on this side. I've got the proof. I've got it right here in my head. I don't have to say, oh, my grandpa told me this, or uh, this came down from the first pope, and the third pope said this, and the fourth one said, I don't have to do any of those. I don't have to lie. I don't have to change anything. I'm just going to read it to you out of the book that God preserved for thousands of years. It's right here. I just read it to you. Mary had a very nice family afterwards. And even though they were in the family, our Lord Jesus Christ was a stranger to his brothers and his sisters until after the resurrection when they, some of them become believers. I don't know how many of them. Don't say. Uh, you're a stranger in your own house. And we can finish this scripture by, by what our Lord taught in Matthew 10. Back up just a little bit in Matthew 10. Look at verses 34 through 37. Matthew 34 through 37 says this. This is our Lord Jesus Christ preaching. And he's probably preaching to a bunch of do-gooders. Those that think, oh, if they can just do, do, and do, and, and be nice and everything. And he says this. Think not that I am come to send peace uh, on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Well, everybody I thought says that Jesus was the lowly, wonderful Savior and and he's all for peace, and he's so nice, and he wants everybody in the world to be saved, and he healed everybody he knew. The Bible, Bible don't teach that. It teaches everywhere he went. They brought the sick, and he healed them. That's right. But did he save everybody on earth? No, he didn't die for everybody. We, we just got through teaching you that for about a year or two years in John 17, where time and time again he said, I pray not for the world. But here we're talking about in a man's own house. So I'm looking at verse 35. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father. You mean the Lord would do that? He said he did. And the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Isn't that wonderful? You know, this shows you 
that things that happen within your family, within your neighborhood, within any part of your life, are not unusual if you're coming and seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ. We have told you time and time again that when you want the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, you're going to want him more than anything else in the world. There is nothing, not a love affair, not children, not daddy, mother, the church, the wonderful kind old priest, nothing like that is going to mean anything to you except wanting to have and to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is called the perfect hatred. He says, except you hate the world. And this is what it means. You're going to live with people. You're going to love them. You're going to do everything for them. But your heart is not set on them. Your heart is aimed and pointed at the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if I can't have you, I don't even want to live. I don't want to live. I just want to be with you. I want you to save me and give me that new nature. I just want to be yours. I hate myself. You know why? Because all I can do is sin. Every time I open my mouth, I say the wrong thing. Everything I do, I do wrong. And I know that you're the perfect substitute. Lord showed me that in this book. He's the perfect substitute. I need you. And when a person has a cry in their heart like that, and they cry unto him, the Lord's going to answer them. It might not be here in church. It might not be anywhere where you expect. The Lord's going to slip up on you and say, I died for you. I shed my blood. You're mine. Or he might even say, I found a city of refuge. Any of those expressions are great because that's the Lord revealing himself to a human heart, not somebody saying, do you accept Christ? Do you really believe that? He's, yeah, I do. Then you're saved because that's nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with salvation. You know why? I've done it a dozen times myself as a kid growing up. Done it time and time again. But when God reveals himself to your heart, you know what happened. These people that say, oh, you can't know you got... Yes, you can, because you're there. You're the only one that knows. Brother Nortier don't know what happened to me. I don't know what happened to Brother Nortier when the Lord revealed himself to his heart, because he was the only one there. And when it happened to me, I was the only one there. You're in the operating room alone with God, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. We're going to get into the book of Peter now next week. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for this Lord's Day gathering. Thou hast brought us from far and wide. Thou hast directed them to this small spot on the highway, so difficult to get to for some. But we thank you for the safe arrival of everybody, for thy great mercy to us on the highways, thy greater mercy to us in giving us a place to worship thy greater, greater mercy to us for giving us the Lord Jesus Christ as our center, as our circumference, as the center of all of our preaching and teaching and fellowshipping, that sinners might come to know him. We pray for the following service. We pray for the meal today, for the fellowship that we'll have through the rest of this, or the beginning of this coming week. We just want to thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're dismissed for about five or ten minutes now. So if you've traveled a long way, we glad that you found your way here. And we'll start the service around about 11 o'clock. Thank you. Thank you.